0: Thank you, Dusty, for reading our scripture, and we're very thankful that you're here tonight. We're going to be thinking about some ways that we can serve the Lord, and all of us want to do our very best to be a part of the work of the church and to do all that we can to advance the because Very grateful for your presence tonight. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back. We're grateful for the visitors that come our way from week to week, and we have a number of visitors, and I know it's... Summertime now, or almost summertime, and school's out. and People are going and coming, and so we want to want to encourage you. If you're visiting tonight, we'd love to have you come back. If you're looking for a church home, as always, we invite you to consider the work here. I do want to uh, just say very quickly. I know VBS is right around the corner. There are a lot of folks that are working hard, making preparation for that week, and uh, hopefully and prayerfully, it's going to be a very productive week. We appreciate all those who are a part of that work. Uh, Those of you that are planning to be a part of it, uh, we certainly express appreciation to you. And we want to invite our friends and neighbors to come and be a part of that. We're going to be looking tonight at Titus chapter 3, as was read a moment ago, where Paul, in writing to Titus, said that we are to be ready unto every good work. Centuries ago, when Paul wrote Timothy, and Timothy, as you well know, was his own son in the faith, Timothy said, or rather, Paul said to Timothy that he was to be sanctified for the Master's use and prepared for every good work. Our goal is to be involved in the work of the church. As a matter of fact, we've been saved to serve. And those of us who belong to the body of Christ, it's incumbent on us to identify what we can do, and then to the best of our ability to execute that. And so tonight what I want to do is to put before you some things that I believe all of us can do. I have five very basic things that we can all do as members of the church. And we're not reinventing the wheel. This isn't rocket science or anything like that. But I want to begin by first of all emphasizing that we can all teach one. The songs that we've been singing tonight remind us of our responsibilities in the kingdom. And first and foremost, we have the responsibility of sharing the gospel of Christ. The marching orders that Jesus gave prior to ascending to heaven, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In Mark's account, Mark said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that does not believe, of course, will be condemned. So we have the responsibility of going and sharing the gospel of Christ. Sadly, for whatever reason, and there may be any number of reasons, those of us who are members of the body of Christ are not as evangelistic as we once were. If you go back and look at our history, particularly back over the last half century, you'll see that churches of Christ in many respects were on fire. We were one of the fastest growing religious organizations in the world. Something happened. Somewhere along the line, we lost our fire. We lost our zeal. Maybe it's because the world has infiltrated our thinking. Maybe it's because we have become so preoccupied with the affairs of the world and the things that are going on in life that we've just forgotten that Jesus said to go. We still have that responsibility. People are still lost and dying in sin. And the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, verse 23. Is it possible that we no longer longer recognize the fact without the saving blood of Jesus people are lost and dying and they will spend eternity in a devil's hell, separated from the light of God's presence forevermore. The only thing that can save those who are lost and dying in sin is the gospel. And we have the good news. I want you to think about something for a minute. Let's just imagine that the Apostle Paul were in town. And let's say Paul was going to spend the next 12 months in the city of Olive Branch. He identifies a place to live. He has his trade. He was a tent maker. And we'll say that he's involved in some type of manufacturing business. Do you think that those who lived around the Apostle Paul, those who worked beside him day by day, do you think they would know something about Jesus? Do you think that over the course of 12 months, Paul would have opportunity to say something to them about Christ. I want you to think about all the people that we come into contact with on a regular basis. Whether it's at the bank, at the grocery, on the ball field, the soccer field, wherever. Think about all the people that, that we see from day to day. And then ask this question of all the people that I have met and interacted with over the course of the last 12 months, and those that I know are not members of the body of Christ, what have I done, what have I said to share the Lord? Have I said anything? Have I invited someone to services? Have I given them a tract? Have I said, you know what, here's a CD, you ought to listen to this. Have I encouraged anyone to think about their spiritual condition. I mentioned the Apostle Paul. And you go back and you look at the early church. And sometimes we say, well, you know what? I'm not Paul. I'm not Peter. I'm not one of the Apostles. I understand that. Do you remember in Acts chapter 8, the Bible talks about that great persecution that swept the early church? And the Bible says that those who were living in Jerusalem were scattered abroad with the exception of the Apostles. It was said of those who were scattered abroad, they went everywhere. And do you know what they were doing? They went everywhere preaching the word. We're not talking about Paul. We're not talking about Peter or John or James or any of the other apostles. We're talking about members of the body of Christ, just like just like us tonight. Regular members of the body of Christ. And what were they doing? they had a message and they wanted to make sure that that message was deposited into the hearts and lives of people. Do we have that same burning desire today? Do we really understand that people are lost and dying in sin and without the saving blood of Christ, as I said a moment ago, they have no hope. Remember what Paul said Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12? They are without hope and without God in this world. Let me tell you what. People are stepping out into eternity every single day. Many of those people who are stepping out into eternity are ill-prepared to meet their Maker. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 10, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And I think what he's saying there is, it is a thing fearful beyond belief to stand in the presence of God unprepared. People don't have to be unprepared. And why is that? Because we have the truth, don't we? Now, sometimes we say, well, I don't know enough. Well, if that's the case, you can hand somebody a tract. You can take a book that outlines the gospel and talks about the blood of Christ and the church of Christ and what a person needs to do to become a member of the church. You can give that to them. You can encourage somebody to listen to a CD or watch a DVD I mean, there are opportunities for us. Those opportunities abound. The question is, are we interested in saving the lost? You know, I think in many respects, the church as a whole, we have turned our focus inward rather than outward. We are more concerned with keeping shop in the church, universally speaking, than we are with reaching the lost. That's a sad commentary on the church. Let me tell you what, the church will not grow if we as members do not share the gospel. If you don't know the truth of God, look, you can't teach what you don't know. The seed of the kingdom is the word of God, right? Luke chapter 8. If you don't sow the gospel of Christ, people are not going, they're not going to know anything about the gospel. But you can't sow what you don't know. If you don't sow what you don't know, we won't grow. It's just as simple as that. Now understand, as Paul said... Paul would say, I planted a pile of water, God gave the increase. We have no control over what people do with the gospel. But we do have the responsibility to share that message with people who are lost and dying in sin. Do you have a neighbor that's outside the body of Christ? What about a family member, a co-worker, a classmate, somebody that you play golf with or hunt with or bowl with or whatever? Is there somebody that you're acquainted with who is not a member of the body of Christ and you could reach out and talk to them about about the Lord? I mentioned Paul a moment ago. If Paul were alive today and if he were living in Olive Branch, I've got to believe that every person he came in contact with, they would know something about the Lord Jesus, wouldn't they? And why is that? Because he had a desire to share the gospel. Do you remember in Acts chapter 4, the Bible talks about Peter and John when they were called before the Sanhedrin council. And the Bible says they recognized that they were untrained and uneducated men. They had not been to any rabbinical school. They had not sat at the feet of Gamaliel. They were not students of the law as Saul of Tarsus had been in the past. They had not sat at the feet of a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was an esteemed teacher, ruler among the Jewish people. No, they were just itinerant fishermen, weren't they? And yet the Bible says they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. That was the difference maker, wasn't it? They spent some three years in the presence of Jesus. And what did they do during the course of those three years? They heard Him preach over and over, didn't they? They heard His message day in, day out, and that message resonated not only with the masses of people, it resonated in their heart, in their hearts. And then they saw the miracles. and they saw Jesus as He healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, gave hearing to the deaf, raised the dead. And their conclusion was, this is the Son of God. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4 that they were commanded not to teach or preach in the name of Jesus. And you know what they said? Fat chance of that. They said, we cannot but speak the things we have seen and heard. Could I suggest tonight that those of us who are members of the body of Christ, those of us who belong to the church, it's time for us To exalt the man who saves. That's Jesus. Do you remember Luke said, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Look, we've got to share the man. In sharing the man, we must share the plan. God has one person who saves. That's Jesus. He's the man who saves. God has one plan to save. That's the gospel of Christ. If people are going to be saved, they're going to be saved by Jesus, through Jesus, in Jesus, and they're going to be saved by His Word. There is no other way. And what is that Word? Well, Jesus said, except you believe that I'm He, you'll die in your sins. And Jesus said, if you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot come. Jesus also said that we must be willing to repent, to turn from a life of sin, Luke 13, 3. To confess the name of Christ before others and then to be buried with Him in baptism to rise to walk in newness of life. Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. That's about as simple as simple gets, isn't it? If you understand your ABCs, then you know enough to share the gospel. You know enough to tell somebody what to do to do to be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, be baptized into Christ. He'll put you in the church, you'll be among the saved, and then be faithful until death. If you do that, you have the hope of heaven. One of the things that we can do, one of the things that we must do, is teach someone. There's a second thing I want to share with you, and that is, first, we must teach one. Secondly, we must restore one. I want to ask you a question tonight. Do you know anyone who identifies with the congregation here at Ala Branch that is not a faithful member? You know anybody that claims to be a member of this congregation, but you know they're not faithful? You know anybody like that? Could I encourage you? Could I plead with you to reach out to that person or to those individuals? To reach out to someone that you know is an unfaithful member of the body of Christ. Now we preach and teach the, the, that the doctrine of once saved, always saved is erroneous, and it is. But sadly sometimes folks live like that doctrine Is found in Scripture. Look, we've got to be faithful until death. And there are members of the body of Christ who are not where they ought to be. They're not faithful to the Lord. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul talks about the servant of the Lord. And in that context, he's talking about reclaiming someone who has been taken by the devil, taken captive by the devil to do his will they have been imprisoned once again in a life of sin and do you remember the words of peter in second peter chapter 2 peter talks about those who have escaped the corruptions the pollutions that are in the world through the knowledge of the lord and savior jesus christ and he said they are again entangled therein and overcome in other words they have, as he said in verse 15 of that same chapter, they have forsaken the right way. They're unfaithful. They have left the Lord. They're living in apostasy. And Peter said, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. I want you to listen to this. It would be better for them, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Do you know what he's saying there? He's saying that people who are members of the body of Christ, who go back into the world, are going to be held at a higher standard at the judgment. With responsibility comes accountability. And what Peter is saying there is the same thing that the writer of Hebrews said. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now there are people who are a member of this congregation. And they're not faithful to the Lord. They need to be. Some of us have reached out. We have made overture after overture after overture to certain individuals. But I want to encourage all of us. It might be that you are just the person to help restore someone. Read Luke 15 sometime. In Luke 15, Jesus discusses the value of finding that which is lost. He talks about a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. Is there anything worse than being lost? If there is, I don't know it. You know, there are a lot of predicaments that we can find ourselves in when it comes to life here on planet Earth. And there are circumstances that without question are hard to bear, difficult to endure, Sometimes hard to understand. But let me tell you what. To live in a lost condition and to recognize that there is but a step between us and death as the Bible teaches. Some folks have no idea how close to that line they are. I want you to think about the people that have passed from this life over the last 12 months. We buried quite a few people. And if the world stands, we'll bury some more. Will you be among that number? And if you're among that number, will you die in Christ or outside of Christ? Will you die faithful in the Lord or unfaithful outside of Christ? Will you be banished from His presence forevermore? Sobering thoughts. Now, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage all of us To reach out to those who are lost. To the best of our ability, teach one. Reach one. Restore one. As Paul said, considering ourselves, lest we also be tempted. If you are that lost sheep or lost coin or lost son, Wouldn't you be putting a premium on being reclaimed? Sure you would. I know a brother who was restored to the Lord many years ago, and the reason was someone had enough interest in him to make a phone call. It was just a phone call. So all I'm saying is it may be a text a card, a note, a phone call, a visit, whatever. But as James said, you will hide a multitude of sins and save a soul from death. So let's, to the best of our ability, teach one, reach one, restore one, and then thirdly, could I encourage us to pray for one? You know, we have the opportunity to pray. That's one of the great spiritual blessings that we enjoy in Christ. There are a number of things that we could pray for. I want to introduce you to a fellow spoken of by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul speaks of a man by the name of Epaphras. This was a faithful, productive member of the body of Christ. And in the book of Colossians in chapter 4, in verse 12, I want you to listen to what Paul says about this brother. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, greets you. Now listen. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers. And why? That you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. You know, we don't have to necessarily pray for every person in the church by name. But we can identify maybe one person or two or three or whatever. We could identify somebody and say, you know what, we're going to pray for that person. That is a privilege that we have. And Paul said of Epaphras that he always labored fervently for the saints in Colossae. His desire was that they would stand firm in their relationship to the Lord. That they might be perfect and complete, listen to Him, in all the will of God. That's a great prayer. Are there people, is there someone that you could pray for tonight? Is there someone that you know of who is hurting spiritually that you could pray for? Is there someone who is suffering emotionally or physically in life? And you could pray for them. And you think about Paul here is writing to the church at Colossae. When he wrote to the saints in Thessalonica, Paul understood something about the power of prayer because he talked about how he prayed for them regularly in chapter 1. Over in chapter 5, verse 25, he appealed to them on this basis. He said, brethren, pray for us. Imagine Paul asking you to pray for him. Paul is this great spiritual giant, but he still needed prayer, didn't he? It doesn't matter who we are. doesn't matter what our position is in the church or in life or whatever. We all need prayer. And to think that you could fervently labor on behalf of someone in doing what? In praying. You know, there are some people that by our standards, they are, as we would say, shut in. Physically speaking, they just can't go like they used to. They don't have the ability to get around. But there's one thing that they can do. Maybe they're confined to a chair. Maybe they're confined to a wheelchair. Maybe they're confined to bed, but they've got a sound mind. You know what they can do? They can pray. And we're talking about something that we can do. There are things that all of us can do. You could be a prayer warrior on behalf of someone in the in the church. Think about that for a minute. The brother that the Apostle Paul talked about, that's what he was. He was praying, fervently praying, laboring for them in prayer. We can do the same. There's, a, there's another thing that I believe we can do. And that is, we can encourage one. We all need encouragement, don't we? Do you remember Barnabas... Barnabas was a man known for his encouraging words. In Acts chapter 11, the Bible tells us that they were called Christians first in what city? You remember? Antioch. The Bible tells us that Barnabas went to the city of Antioch and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they would continue in the Lord. Solomon wrote on one occasion, A word fitly spoken. I want you to think about that for a minute. A word fitly spoken. Solomon here is saying a word spoken at the right time at the right place does what? It blesses someone's life. You could be an encouragement. We can all be an encouragement to one another. As a matter of fact, we have the responsibility of encouraging one another. One of the ways that we do that, we come together on the first day of the week, we worship God. But doesn't Doesn't it inspire you and encourage you when somebody says, you know what, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you. Or somebody says to you, I know you're having a tough time, I just want you to know I'm thinking about you. If I can do anything to help you, let me know. I mean, doesn't that inspire you? It inspires me. When people tell me they're praying for me or they try to encourage me, let me tell you what, it means the world to me. Encourage somebody. Pick out somebody that you know that needs a dose of encouragement. Send them a card, send them a text, give them a phone call, whatever. Drop by and see them. Encourage somebody. There is a fifth thing I want to share with you. And that is we can help one. Help one. Read Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus pictures the judgment. He talks about that great and final day when he will come, all of his holy angels will be with him. He said he'll be seated upon the throne of his glory. In that context, he said he'll turn to those on his right hand. He will say to them, Enter into the joy, the kingdom been prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. And Jesus said, He'll say to those, "I was hungry, and what'd you do? You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked, you clothed me. I was a stranger, you took me in, you gave me a place to live, sick and in prison, and you visited me. Is there someone that you know that needs your help? They need a meal? They need something because of their situation in life. There's something you can do. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul talks about bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. I think we help one another when we bear the burdens of others. But down in verse 10, Paul said, As we have opportunity, I think that's a key statement, As we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. What Paul is saying there is there are opportunities before all of us. Sometimes a door will open. Sometimes a window will open. When those doors and windows open and we have the opportunity to help someone, what are we supposed to do? Sit back, hope somebody else does it. No, we have the responsibility of doing what we can to help another person. There's an interesting statement made in Matthew chapter 20 at verse 6 by Jesus. He asked a very powerful question, a profound question, and I might add a very personal question. You know what that question was? Jesus asked, why do you stand here idle all day? There are a lot of things that we can do for the cause of Christ. There are so many things that we can do. Look, we don't have to be a master at everything. We don't have to do everything, but we can do something, can't we? We can teach one. We can restore one. We can pray for one. We can encourage one. We can help one. There's something for all of us to do. When you read in Scripture about a New Testament Christian, you're reading about someone who is a disciple of Jesus, a learner of Jesus, and what was it that was said of Jesus in Acts chapter 10? Do you remember? Listen, Luke said he went about doing good. Jesus was involved in the lives of people. And if we're going to be what he wants us to be, we're going to be involved in the lives of people. In what way? By teaching one, restoring one, praying for one, helping one, encouraging one. Busy. We need to be busy. As Paul said, be ready unto every good work. Are you ready? Have you prepared yourself for service? I would hope and pray tonight as we close my prayer is that you will make the decision tonight to do something to advance His cause. There's something for you to do. There's something for everyone in the church. You think about your human, Think about the human body for a minute. The human body is compared to the spiritual body of Christ, isn't it? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul talks about the various members of the human body Every member of the human body is valuable, isn't it? Would you want to go through life without an arm, without a leg, without a hand, without fingers, without a foot? No. We value every member. Why? Because every member contributes to the whole when it comes to the human body. So translate that to the spiritual body of Christ. Every member, Paul said there are many members, yet but one body. There's just one body, one church. But the church is composed of many members. And what Paul is saying is, every member has a part. We've got to identify our niche. And then as the fellow said on one occasion, get busy. Get busy. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. To believe that Jesus is exactly who He claimed to be, the Son of God. To willingly come to Him to renounce a life of sin. Submit to His will. Repent. Be baptized. Enjoy the forgiveness of your sins. Let God put you in the church and then get busy. Go teach somebody what you learned to do to become a Christian. Go get involved in somebody's life and help them. Encourage them. Pray for them. Do whatever you can. If you're here tonight, For whatever cause, your life's not what it ought to be. You're not faithful. We want to encourage you tonight to come home. Come home to a loving God who will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.